Hello and welcome to the Gathering's Message of the Week. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that through these messages, God would inspire, challenge, and encourage you. For more information about our church, please visit gatheringtohim.org. That's gathering2him.org. Enjoy and be blessed. The word and the will of God concerning raising kids, having family. And uh, <clears throat> both of us, you know, over the years, we, we've had to really, we, sometimes you just come to this, this uh, place where you have an impasse. You don't feel like you can get, get through it unless you get, just get broken, unless you just, just humble yourself and get broken. And that's happened to us several times over the years. And, and uh, what, when we come to a place like that, we all, always opt to die to ourselves because we know, uh, first of all, it's either that or God will kill us. No, I just not. But I, it, seriously, there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, you either, uh, Kay says it this way, either you... Um, you hear or you feel, okay? Either you hear and obey the Lord or you feel and obey the Lord, okay? Like feel the correction of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's the same way with our kids. You either hear, they either hear you and obey or they get to feel you and obey. You see what I'm saying? Now that's, that's a little bit, uh, you might seem that's crude or something like that. But the fact is, is that God loves you so much, he's willing to chasten you and, and bring you to a place of uh, brokenness and humility to accept the truth about yourself. So right now, I'm going to ask Kay if she would wrap up her end of it, and then I'll finish up tonight. I've got to tell you, come, will you come over here? Ain't she wonderful? I've got to tell you. And work, since uh, we were released from the... Uh, senior pastor at, uh, at Northgate this year, uh, after uh, trying to be released for 20. No, I just. But uh, we were able to step into a new level, and at the moment that the Lord did that for us, a fresh anointing came on us for a, a, a sizable difference in our ministry. And uh, to have Kay walk with me in this is, is a tr- true treasure. And I'd like for you to receive her. And uh, to the degree that you receive those God has sent to you is the degree that you will receive, be able to receive from him, okay? So, I receive you, Kat. Okay? Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Well, I, I really am just, I'm delighted to be here. And I'm delighted that the Lord likes to use people to do the things that he wants to do. He could do it all by himself without any of us at all. But you know what? He's like we as parents. When you have something some favorite thing you like to do and then your kids get old enough you can finally get them involved in it, doesn't it just make your heart sing? You know, and they go, yeah, this is really cool, Dad, I like doing this. You know, and you'd think, yeah. And I think the Lord feels the same way. I think he delights in you. And let me just say that. Have you ever experienced times when, if it's your own children or others, and you've seen them do something, and it's just so precious and wonderful, and just makes your heart feel good, and you just feel pleasure? Have you all ever had those experiences? Just pleasure. Now, did your child have to come and work really hard and earn that from you? No. Now, I want you to imagine 
yourself as that little child and your father, heavenly father, looking at you. And you're just doing something. It might be just something funny and, and quirky, right? Just kind of you. But the father just looks at that and he goes, wow. I just love watching him when he does that. You know, watch. He's going to do it again. Watch. You know? Father takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in who you are, not because you check off your list of things, just because you're his idea and he gets to enjoy watching you. He takes pleasure in you. Um, the Lord also wanted me to just share real quickly. There was a time when, when you know, he's Pastor Ken, he has an office in the church, he's a busy man, he's got things to do, you know. But when our kids would come to the church building, and Joshua, like, needed to talk to Dad, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm busy, and he slips off, and he, he's over there, and he's, he's coming in through the door in the office, and he comes into his dad, and he wants to climb up in his dad's lap. Do you know what his dad did? He said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. God isn't too busy to stop whatever he's doing and say, oh, man, are you here? Come on, sit down with me. You want to doodle some? Let's get some extra paper here. We're going to doodle on the desk for a while. You see? The Father invites us in. He's too busy. He's God. He's got things to do. Yeah, you're it. You're the thing he does. And to understand the love of the Father and how precious that is. And tonight, I, I really just wanted, I want to give the majority of the time to my beloved because he's got some really powerful stuff to, to give us. But I wanted us to look real quickly, if you would, in Deuteronomy 6 because that's what the Lord laid on my heart tonight. Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy doesn't exactly sound like your general book that you're going to read stuff out, you know, about little kids, right? You know, Deuteronomy, it's Deuteronomy, you know, it's the Old Testament, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Well, they didn't actually say that back then, really. Um, so, <laughs> have you found it, Deuteronomy 6? It's in the Old Testament in case you're lost. Okay? We're going to start with verse 1. And these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which Jehovah our God commanded to teach you so that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. That you might, does anybody see what that next word is? You might what? Thank you there, fear, fear the priest, that's it. That you might fear <laughs> Jehovah your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, so that your days may be long. He not only enjoys you, he wants you to live a long time. All right? Then hear, O Israel, and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you. He wants it to be well with you. And that you may greatly multiply. Multiply, make more of you as Jehovah the God our fathers have promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, 
Jehovah our God is one God, and you shall love God, Jehovah your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. Now, pay attention. And you shall carefully teach them to your sons and shall talk of them. All right, all of y'all are sitting down, right? When you sit down, right, and when you're walking by the way, you're moving around and you're walking down the road or you're getting ready and walking them over to the school, you're walking, and when you lie down, I don't want to talk to you right now, but when you lie down, right, and when you rise up. That sounds like kind of all the time. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them where? On the posts of your house and on your gates. It's like getting written everywhere. On your hands, as frontlets before your eyes, on your house. Now go down to verse 20, will you? Because there's some more stuff, but we're going to look at this part. And then he's talking about all these things. And then he says, and when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what are these testimonies and statutes and judgments which Jehovah our God has commanded you? What's this all about? We got this stuff written on our doorposts, and we've got it written out here on the, on the, the cow gate, and we've got it written. You, I see it, and you've written it on your hands, and it's written everywhere. What is it all about? Why do we have so many words written everywhere else? All those people in that other bunch of people over there, they don't do that stuff. Why are we weird? Right? Why are we doing this? It says, then you shall say to your son, it's a setup. Now I've got your attention. Why are we doing this, Dad? I'm glad you asked. Because... A while back, we were slaves in Egypt. And we had no hope for any other kind of life. All our life, we were going to be building pyramids for the Pharaoh. Every day, we would wake up and have no choice about what we are going to do. We didn't own anything. We didn't even own our own bodies. We were in Egypt, and there was no hope. <clears throat> and he said... We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and Jehovah brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And Jehovah gave signs and wonders and great and evil signs upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there so that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. Why do we have all these things written everywhere? Why are you talking about this stuff all the time? Well, son, because I remember being a slave. I remember that your older sister was born there, and her destiny was to be a slave. I remember what that was like. I still can remember the the, the chains, and I can remember the, the beatings and the whippings. I can remember that. And we cried out to God, and you know what he did? He brought us out. This was Egypt. It was like the most powerful nation in the world. There wasn't any way this little bunch of 
Slaves could do that. You were brought out, son. And that's why we're, we're a people that write down these words. You're here, a free man. You're going to have your own, own vineyard. You're going to have your own place. You're going to be able to have a wife and live and have children and be free all the days of your life because God took us out of Egypt. And that's why those words are important to us. Because it was the God of those words that brought us forth. So as we're moving this and bringing this into the understanding of where we are in our life, in our culture, in our time now, what does that mean for you? It means, do you remember being a slave? Do you remember the captivity you've walked in? Do you remember when you couldn't get loose? Yeah. And, and you've received freedom, and you're walking in freedom, and you're able to even hand it to your children to say, come on into this freedom. And here's these words that brought freedom to us. Here they are. I'm going to teach them to you. We're going to talk about it. You are not part of the rest of that kind of world. You're in a different place, son. You're from a different kind of people. That's why we're going to talk about these words. That's why we're going to show you the pathways of life. Because you don't want to ever go back and be a slave again. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He said, these words are the words in the language of freedom. I'm going to teach you the language of freedom, my son. I'm going to teach it to you every day. I'm never going to let you forget it. And it's going to stand under your feet like a rock, and it's going to take you into the places of life. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it when I'm sitting down and when I'm walking. I'm going to do it when I'm lying down and when I get up until it's inside you walk it out in freedom. So parents, that's what the Word of God is doing. That's what the Word of God is. Break it. Break the Word of God with your children. Talk about it. Talk about it in ways that they can understand. Don't get legalistic on them. Make it real. Tell them your stories. Tell them your stories. Let them know that it was for freedom that he set you free. And it came by the word of God made flesh. Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Is that on now? Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord. I am, I'm constantly doing that too. Hallelujah. So, as Kay just mentioned to you about fathers, uh, I, I feel like tonight for uh, my wrap-up tonight about parenting that I needed to talk about father. I didn't know she was going to talk about that at all. We, need, we didn't confer. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Matter of fact, I have my message tonight is fathers produces, produce fathers. And, uh, but I thought that was how interesting it was. You know, that song that we sang the last, you know, um, in the crushing, in the pressing, he's making new wine. I remember the first time I heard that song, it was sung by uh, Miriam, uh, uh, formerly Ken- Kennedy, I don't remember her last name now. But uh, it was at a conference uh, over in, uh, in Washington, I mean, I'm sorry, down in, uh, yeah, Washington, North Carolina. <clears throat> and uh, she came in, her, her voice, and I, I spent a lot of floor time face down that night in the crushing, in the pressing, you're making new wine. Now, I, I know Miriam, but I know her father much better an apostle, and a true father in the Lord. I've never talked with Greg Kennedy that he didn't have a father's word for me. You know, we're, we're pretty close to the same age. It's just the same as, the thing is, he's a father. He didn't know how not to be a father. Greg passed away last week, suddenly, in Colorado, at, at going to a meeting. Uh, he was in a motel room, ready, getting ready to go to a meeting, and he passed away suddenly in his room. Uh, 71 years old. He ran this race very well. He left many sons and daughters. His own biological kids. His son is a pastor of a thriving, maybe 2,000 member church. I'm not sure how big a church it is now. It's really, really impacting the whole region of eastern North Carolina. Reaching students who come to East Carolina University by the hundreds. And uh, Miriam is associate pastor there. And, and he and Dina, Greg and Dina, were, remained in the house as father and mother uh, to, to many. And uh, I just mentioned him because my heart was pricked today when I heard that song about that's what he, God is making us. He's forming us, but he has to form us after we, we submit ourselves for the crushing and the pressing. And... Uh, and because it's not going to happen because you think you want to change. It's, it happens when you want to change. You want, you want to become something else. You want to be the father or the mother you need to be. You want to be the son or daughter of God that you really need to be. And just because you make a choice to do that is not, does not make that happen. You're really making a choice to die to yourself. Everything that lives in the kingdom of God first has to die. Unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it does fall to the ground and die, it's planted in the ground. And that seed causes multiplication by the thousands. Much abundant fruit is what Jesus said. He spoke of himself. He spoke of himself as far as his own sacrifice. In Isaiah chapter 9, it declares to us a prophecy about 
who was going to come and deliver Israel. And it said, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. That's who Jesus is to me. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And not a title anymore, but a reality in my life. And now, in my friends, Greg's life. His life didn't cease. His life transformed. And now he is where we all want to be. And he's run the race very well. I'm grateful that tomorrow night we'll be down there for his funeral. And uh, just to rejoice with people, because truly... Someone who passes that has done well, it's cause for a lot of rejoicing. It really is. Fathers. To be a parent means you, you're, you're produced a child together, mother and father, male and female. When God created Adam and Eve, he, said he, he created them male and female, right? But at the same moment, by default... That same moment, by default, he created them mother and father, mom and dad. And then we see how it began to crumble because sin came into the picture. We see separation and division, heartache, argument, divorce, murder. We see how sin begins to separate and constantly put distance between man and his wife. Put distance between those who, who ordinarily would have been one together. It says about marriage that when the two come together, the two shall become one flesh. Now, the word fl- flesh there is the word in Chaldea, it's the word basor, which means that they shall become one person. Literally. They should become one. When you look at K, you should be thinking of me. You should have a thought of me when you look at K. When you look at me, uh, and when you look at her, you you should see me. When you look at me, you should see her. Because we have that kind of relationship. I don't have a professional relationship outside of of my, my ministry to my family. You should see my family when you think of me. You should see my church when you think of me. And I believe that's the way, the narrative that God wants us to build for ourselves and our families. The division that you're suffering over right now is the division of professionalism and, and, and career and education and uh, uh, specialization. In the world we have today, we spend 12 to 15 years in school learning how not to do it God's way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 12 to 15 years in school mandated so that you can have a job that will take you into a world that teaches you how to do things other than God's way. And we rock along pretty good like that because we think that somehow we have done something special because we have educated ourselves. And the education that we actually have need of is neglected. 
one hour a week on Sunday. And of that one hour, 20 minutes maybe of instruction from the Word of God. As opposed to hundreds of hours a month in front of television, radio, phone, educational facilities, and the pursuit of your career. It all tells you that there's another option other than having a nuclear family. Another option other than saying to be married and to enjoy your children, raise your own children. You work all of this time so someone else can raise your children. And I've got to tell you, <clears throat> there's a problem with that. Now, we're in this world. We can't separate ourselves completely from this world, or we'd have to be out of this world, wouldn't we? So we'd have an out-of-this-world ministry in this world. We've got this, this mandate from God is to follow Him. When Jesus was walking around the Sea of Galilee, by the way, there's a new uh, series out. You may have seen it. It's called The Chosen. Have anybody seen that yet? Oh, I love it. I love it. Kay and I just, just think it's the best thing since sliced bread. It's really good. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen on the um, part of the life of Jesus. And it begins with him uh, uh, gathering his disciples. And I've always seen it this way because I have been and I have walked those steps so many times trying to catch a picture of it. On the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum, uh, Tavga, uh, the, sea, the Mount of, Be- uh, uh, of Beatitudes. All right in there. I spent a lot of time in there over the last few years. And, uh, and just walking it out, trying to envision what Jesus was doing. And I think they did a pretty good job with this series called The Chosen. And, uh, <clears throat> but I saw in this movie, they did exactly, pretty much exactly how I had imagined it. As Jesus is walking along, he said, and he looked at these guys and said, Hey, follow me. Well, he didn't say, Hey, why don't, you know, if you'll follow me, I'll guarantee you, a job, I'll guarantee you a place to live, I'll guarantee you and your family's going to, everything's going to be cool, won't ever have any problems anymore. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, come follow me. I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't own up any property. I've got nothing to give you other than life. You want that? Come on! Yay! That's an enticing uh, advertisement for employment, isn't it? But I love the way they depict it because it's just ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people are the ones who change the world in extraordinary ways. Now, he did this so that we might enter into this marriage covenant with God. You know, in the last day, it calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb where the two shall, again, come together and become one. In fact, it's happened because Jesus has made it happen. We just get to enter into it before we ever actually die. We get to walk in it today because by faith, we understand. And by faith, we live. Our Father loves us with an everlasting love. He has given to us and entrusted to us the stewardship of raising our children in the love and the admonition of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, in the word of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are a little bit different than the word of the Lord. Okay? 
The ways of the Lord you don't find out by learning from the, from the Word. The ways of the Lord you walk is how you, what you find out when you're walking with the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? And that's how He actually trains us. There's so many people who have the Word of God inside them, but they haven't applied the ways of the Lord to it. And as a result, they become big-headed. Right? You ever seen a big-headed Christian? You know? Just, you know, head this big, body this big. I mean, so full, spouting all the things they learned in the Word of God. But somehow, it's always connected to a hook somewhere. Self-aggrandizement or some kind of, uh, of, of, of trick to get you to follow them for sordid gain. But those who walk in the way of the Lord, and I want to tell you somebody who walks in the way of the Lord, I think, and I believe that I've seen enough of him and know enough of him and been with him enough to know that this guy walks in the ways of the Lord, and that's Randy Lemley. Guy's going to be here next week. He's the sweetest guy on earth. I want you to know something. He's that big. He's, I mean, he's enormous. But I have never seen anybody so gentle and so loving, and so fierce in his devotion to the power of God and walking in the way of the Lord. Now, you could ask him, you know, some theological question. He goes, that really is not important to him. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, it's just not that it's not, he doesn't know. It just it doesn't ring a bell in him. But you're talking about prayer and miracles and signs and wonders and seeing the ways of the Lord manifest in men and women, that would be Brother Randy to me. And it caused, because he does that, God sends this big guy all around the world sitting in a baby seat in an airplane all his life. Uncomfortable as all get out, but he never loses his joy. All over the world, Brazil, India, Germany, Africa, Israel, he's Moldova, uh, Ukraine, all over the world. I don't know where the guy's going to be tomorrow, except next week I know he's going to be here. <laughs> y'all are blessed. Y'all are blessed to know this man is coming. I want y'all to have a high anticipation. Ask God, Lord, what do you have for me when Brother Randy is, is here? Have a, have a high expectation that God is going to meet you here in, in, in those meetings because he's a father to many in the body of Christ. And as a father, he wants all those who look to him, all those who would draw from him, he, want to, he wants them all to have the best that God has to offer for them. Amen? Now, in order to be a good father, you need to be a good son. I know I'm talking about parenting but, uh, the whole weekend, but I can't leave you without talking about this. This is so extremely important to me. I want you to turn to me, with me to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> now, I, I, I was raised, my biological father was Keith Koontz. Uh, and actually, he was a, a, real, a real character. He was a, a brilliant man. I, thought, I think he was a genius in some ways. Mechanically, he was a genius. He really was. But he was raised by a guy who was just like him who was raised by a guy who was just like him, who was raised by a guy just like him. And they were all raised in a way uh, uh, without 
without the instruction of the Lord on how to raise children. And so as a result, I kind of got the, the left foot of fellowship when it came to my dad. Now, I didn't hate him. He, I don't think he hated me, but it might, it might have. I don't know. He's kind of treated me like that sometimes. But I'm really grateful to him because he didn't leave us. He provided for us. He also encouraged us in, in so many ways. And he was, always, he was always there. He never left us. He was all, you could always count on him being there. Now, we didn't talk for two years. The last two years I was in my, at home. We didn't have a good relationship for a lot of reasons. But I found out when I was like 22 years old or 20, 26 years old when I finally submitted myself to, to follow uh, my calling in the ministry that I realized at that time that my dad had been the single biggest influence in my whole life. Not knowing it. I never chose it to be. But I got to tell you, for most of us, our, our fathers, whether we had a relationship with them or not, whether they were there or not, their absence even can be the biggest, experience, biggest single influence in your life. You can have a father deficit in your heart. Or you can have a, a father that abused you, and you can have a father hurt, a father wound in your heart. Or like Kay, her dad to me, but, uh, you know, I kind of adopted him. And he adopted me when we, when we met. You know? uh, and he was, to me, he was the most godly man that I'd ever met. And he wore nothing but overalls, khakis and stuff like that. And he was, a, he was a joy to be with constantly. And they always talk about the Word of God. He was an, always an encouragement to me. But my biological father had a great impact on me until I realized that I had to do a little bit of a, a replacement surgery in my life. When I came to the Lord... Finally, to, to submit myself to the Lord, I had to replace my biological father with my spiritual father, my, my holy father in heaven. My, instead of biological father, I have a Zoe father, the one who has life. As God has life, now I have that life. He came to give us what? Life, and to give it to us more abundantly. The word life there is Zoe, Z-O-E. And that means life as God has life in, in himself. I am born again. I am a new creature in Christ. Old things are gone. Behold, all, thing, uh, all things are new. I wrote a book on who you are in Christ Jesus because that's been my journey, and it still is my journey. That book is simply an introduction. Uh, my original manuscript is like this thick. And Kay says, yeah, maybe you could peel that down just a little bit, you know, so it doesn't intimidate people. And I'm going, okay, okay, okay. And my, my daughter says, maybe you ought to peel that down just a little bit more. And finally, I just call it an introduction. An introduction to your identity in Christ. Now, in Romans chapter 8, I found a lot of wisdom in it that helped me as far as being a son to my new, my new DNA comes from my, my Zoe father, my father God. And it says... For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies that our spirit, with our spirit, that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we might be glorified with him. For I consider, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption and the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of, as sons, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our physical body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? As a son, I am tasked now with fathering sons who have sons who father sons. God has given me and you, all of you, and I'm talking about mothers and fathers. That's just, you, could, you could put all of this in context with us reproducing after Christ, after his DNA. I'm passing along to my children and my spiritual children as much God DNA as possible. I can't do much about retrieving the physical DNA that I passed along that wasn't good. But you know, that is corruption. Our physical DNA can corrupt. But that which God has been doing in you since you were born again, is bringing you by process after process after process into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. That's why the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher have been given. That's why I stand up every Sunday, every time I get a chance through the week, year after year after year, is so that I might discharge my holy assignment to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it alone has life in it. Today, I'm talking to parents. This weekend, this whole weekend, has been the parent God wants you to be. We have read a lot of scripture this weekend. We've laid a lot of foundation. I made a lot of people mad this morning about, about correction, about how to correct our children. That is, I, I, I get more... Uh, pushback on that than anything else we, we usually talk about. It's because the world has gotten in with its own ideas, right? But there is a biblical worldview that comes uh, with being who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's formed not from outside, but it's formed from the inside, from the living word that's inside of you. When you hear the word of God, there should be a harmonic resonance on the inside of you. Saying, yes, that's the truth. And then if that has happened to you, then you're bound to it to follow it. 
Not only bound to it to follow it, you're inspired to follow it, and you're also equipped to follow it. It is a divine anointing. When God speaks life to you, a revelation to you, that's what you're responsible for before God. So I'm saying to you today that you're going to have to be violent in order to recapture a generation of children. Violent? What do I mean violent? I'm not talking about being violent to kids. I'm talking about being violent against that which is trying to steal your kids. Violent against your own tendency to be lazy, your own tendency to be fearful, your own tendency to abdicate, your own tendency to walk away when you should be walking toward. We need to be courageous in this day more than any other time in the history of the church. But the church has fallen into a pattern of, uh, how shall I say, uh, when you choose, basically, to disobey God, you have entered a covenant with the enemy. You have entered into a covenant with the enemy, and whatever you have bound yourself to in that covenant, the enemy will put chains on you, and hold you to it. That's why in Christ Jesus, we are free. When we hear the gospel again and again, I don't care how many times it takes, He makes you free from the law of sin and death. He makes me free from the law of sin and death. I want to, say, I want to leave a legacy, from, not only for my son and my daughters. Now, I, you know, I, I've never really made much money in my life. Just let me tell you. I didn't come into the ministry because it was lucrative. Okay. In fact, I remember back in uh, Paris, Texas, a place God sent us. We didn't know anybody. We, didn't have anything. we had no promise of any kind of income. God just said, go there. And <clears throat> we started to preach and minister at a local church. And uh, I, I remember I, I started like five little businesses so I could, you know, I could pretend that I was a man of faith. <laughs> okay, now. No, I, matter of fact, I, I used my faith to start those businesses, you know, so I could bring, bring home the bacon, so to speak, all right? And then one day, one day, I'm looking out the window. We had the last house in town, and all I, you could just see prairie out. That's all you could see, as <laughs> far as you could see. And I was just looking at the vista, and there was a storm way over there, and you could actually see the entire storm. You could see lightning and everything like that, and blue sky around it. I love that kind of scenery. And I was standing there, and the Lord says to me, he said, I don't want you to ever take another wage. I don't want you to ever work another hour for a wage. And I cried. <laughs> I remember saying, no, get thee behind me, Satan. Because I could do stuff. I am a skilled individual. I had multi... Uh, I mean, seriously, I had, uh, you, you asked me to weld, I got a cert certification. You asked me to be uh, an air-conditioned man, I had a certification for that. You asked me to do pipe welding, I can do that. Construction, I had, a, I had a contracting license for that. I worked in paper mills and power plants. I was trained. I could do stuff! And that's how I thought I would live by faith. You know, but I didn't know that it was one of the things that God was going to require of me. Now, 
I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. A few weeks rock along. We can't pay our rent. We don't have any money. And I am being the man of faith, very calm. You know, you could unzip my shirt and there would be a big F there saying faith man. Able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. Great father, great husband, great pastor. I had it all going my way. Except on the inside, I was boiling. I was boiling. God, what did you get me into? You told me to come here. And now look what's going on. You told me to quit all these businesses, and now look what's going on. I mean, there was like 15 people in our church. We couldn't pay the rent at the church either. It was really a, it was a dire situation. I mean, we were meeting in major surgery of a, of a veterinarian clinic. The last, the last occupant of that surgery room was a, as a rhinoceros. They operated on him. I just painted the walls and brought people in. We started preaching. And I, I mean, we had, I thought it was a going concern, you know? One day I came home. Kay met me at the door with her wonderful manners. And she had a, she had a can of sauerkraut. Talk about sauerkraut this morning. That's why I was thinking about this today. And she walked to me and she said, This is all we have to feed our kids. And she put her finger on my chest and she says, what are you going to do about it, man of God? Boy, did something happen. I was so humble. I was so loving. <laughs> I was so contrite, you know. I was saying, comfort, it's going to be okay, honey. It's going to be okay. No. Something happened. A nuclear explosion happened on the inside of me. And I went absolutely ape on my wife. I screamed at her. I picked her up and shook her like a rag doll. I threw her across the room. She landed on the bed. Hallelujah. And I screamed bloody murder at her. I couldn't stop. I could not stop. I became so terrified with myself that I ran to the bathroom. I locked myself in, but before I turned around, I looked at the mirror, and I did not see me. I saw a hideous demon. I saw something I never want ever see. I heard my children say, I think daddy's killed mama. I said, God, what's happened? What has happened to me? And I said, I'm ruined. I've ruined my marriage. I've ruined my life. I've ruined my children. And you'd think that would humble me. No. I went berserk. I beat the, the door into splinters. I ran wood up through my arms, beating the door to the floor. But finally, I ran out of everything. 
And I stood there and bloody and broken. While Kay was over there with ashen face, terrified of me. To that point, I had never touched my wife in any other way but affection and, and love. Her look on her face destroyed me as I had destroyed her. I went outside and and she and her love, she came to me, she didn't say anything, she just started tending to my wounds. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It wasn't going to be okay ever, ever again. It was never going to be okay again. And I, my kids came in, helped wrap up my arms, and I asked them to forgive me. I asked Katie to forgive me, but oh, I didn't know how I would ever forgive myself. Man of God, man of faith, man of power, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound, faith man. This is what happened to me. What I saw in the mirror wasn't me, it was pride. It dwelled in me. And I have had a load of pride in me. I can do anything because I'm skilled. I said, honey, pack the bags. We're going back to Arkansas. I'm going to ask for my old job. We're, we're finished. I'm finished. They prayed for me, and I walked out. I went down to the church, that major surgery. It was all tile walls and high ceiling, and I began to scream and cry out. I began to just pour out everything that I was not willing prior to that to let God have until I was finally in such a heap that I didn't know if I could even walk the car to go home. It took hours. When I came home, um, I knew I was about to put the bags in the car and go home with my kids and my wife. If they would have me. And uh, as I walked past the, I, uh, the mailbox, I opened the mailbox and I... We had... This is what really stunned me is because... I had prayed diligently, vigilantly, Father, for the rent, for the, for the money that we needed, and for everything we had need of. I mean, I was just expecting it to come. It didn't come. It didn't come. It didn't come. And so I was saying, it's okay. It's all right. You know, I'm a man of faith. It didn't come. Now, I got, I, I, I got the mail, and there was one piece of mail that was all beat up from Germany. So who do I know in Germany? But it was my, the guy who mentored me in Kay in the first few, few months of our ministry. He had been gone for two years. I didn't know where he went, but he was in the military. He, went, he was in Germany. And I opened the mail, and he said, Ken, he said, uh, we're, in, we're in Germany, and, uh, but God just stopped me in my tracks right now and told me to write this check to you. I looked down, and there was a check. Didn't open it. And, and he said, I don't know why but this particular figure, but God told me to send it to you. 
I looked at the date. It was written the day we prayed for what we needed. The day we prayed for what we needed. Which had been weeks before. But he didn't know where I was, so he sent it to my home in Arkansas. And it finally reached me in Paris, Texas. And I opened it up. It was the exact amount that we had prayed for. To the penny. And I showed it to Kay. And we both fell on our knees. And we held each other and just wept. Until we had <laughs> our kids came around us. God was faithful. Although I wasn't. And with all of everything in me, wanted to quit, wanted to scream. But he verified his love to me and to Kay. And we remained. It was the most humbling, scary time of my whole life. I only tell this story occasionally. Because I've got to tell you, as a father, as a husband, I was a wreck. I was living a lie. I was full of pride. And I was risking every, all my family and everything I loved, putting it on the idea that somehow I could act like I was a man of God. Men of God, fathers, True fathers are broken. They're not made. They're broken. True mothers are broken. They're not made. We have found this to be true. We want to share it with everybody, but not everybody can hear this message. Some of you may not be able to receive what I'm saying. Some of you have heard that I abused my wife what you heard and didn't hear anything else. I never have touched my wife since then in any way other than with love and affection. A lot of it, matter of fact. We're very open with our love. But I wasn't before that. They can tell you, PDAs were really difficult for me before that. I'll tell you that tonight because... I want to leave a legacy. One that, that produces legacy. My testimony verifies the truth that he is who he says he is. And that I am now who he says I am. Not because I manufacture it. Not because I and convince people that I'm something that I'm not. But I stand before you still broken, still in need, still arrogant, but forgiven. I find that I'm the most arrogant person that I know. And I ask God forgive me often. I want to leave a legacy of my testimony to my children, to my spiritual children, to those a minister to. Because it verifies the truth. 
Jesus is who he says he is. A legacy of large vision. Because with making yourself as small as you can before God, the smaller you make yourself before him, the larger the vision he gives you. It's hope for the future. A legacy of liberty. To know that even in the depths of your depravity, even in that, there's deliverance from bondage. I have a passion to make people free from their bondage. If I can do that, let that be my legacy. A legacy, I call it a legacy of the ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, to ascend into relationships that are ever-increasing relationships with my Heavenly Father. Thank you, honey. You know, I thought I knew God. And then I, I realized I didn't know Him at all. Went to the mountains, Rocky Mountains once, and I saw them. I didn't know they were 100 miles away. I thought, wow, that's awesome. We drove another 20 miles, and I'm going, wow, that's awesomer. We got closer, and the more I got close, the more I could see. And then the, the closer I got, all of a sudden there's more I couldn't see because it was so large what was in front of me. And that's our God. When I married Kay, I thought I knew her. I mean, I, wow. You know, I really thought I, I knew her. Turns out that wasn't true. One day after a year and a half of being married, I came home for lunch, as I usually did if I was in town. And I washed up, was going to get my sandwich, speak to my wife, go home. And it was my day. But all of a sudden, I heard this beautiful music coming from the piano. Actually, I thought it was actually the radio. I thought, well, that's so pretty. It must be FM, because <laughs> that's where we live. I mean, like AM, FM, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, it sounded like, it was classical music. It sounded like Bach, Beethoven, or some such music. And I'm thinking, wow, Kay really likes good music. And, and then I said, wait a minute. And I looked down the hall. I looked out of the bathroom down the hall. And there was Kay playing the piano. She's playing all that. And I'm going. I walked over there. And said, I said, I didn't know you could play the piano. <laughs> I was married to her for two years. We were carrying that piano around. She said, what do you think we have a piano for? I said. <laughs> Furniture? I don't know. It never dawned on me that somebody played the thing. She said, yeah, I had six years of piano lessons. And I said, this is wonderful. Why didn't you tell me? She said, you never asked. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you think you know until you know you don't. The closer you get, the longer you stay, the more is revealed. I want to leave also a legacy of laughter. A legacy of laughter to my children. I want to be the father. Kay and I both, you know, when I say father and mother, 
you know, I, it's, it's we together. We want to leave a legacy of laughter for our children. When we get together, our family laughs a lot, a lot. And we make sure. Sometimes I just grab my grand, grandkids up and I just, get, I just tickle them and giggle them, just like y'all were doing last night, and just until, oh, that's all they want to do. And it's not that kind of laughter all the time, but wit and wisdom combined together. It produces a humor that's really holy. Goodness. Laugh at what God is saying. Not derisively, but saying, that's awesome. Hallelujah. Awesome. A legacy. Generations after generations after generations to come. They either will have a legacy from you that is godly, or they will have something other than what they need. But it's a choice of, that you have. How can I change what has been? How can I change the fact I didn't raise my kids right? How can I change the fact that I messed up? Whew. I messed up that day in Paris, Texas. God help me. I, if I'd had a gun in my hand, I would have taken my own life. That's how horrible. Horrible that day was. I have scars that I don't want to ever lose. Because they remind me of how good God is to forgive me. Cain and I have become one flesh. And Cain and I are becoming one flesh every day. And as we move forward, in the last quarter of my life, I want to be found faithful, just as my friend Greg Kennedy is being found faithful today. I love you all. And I appeal to you now as a father, as a friend, as a brother. Please do not discount what has happened this weekend. Do not discount wisdom that God gives you concerning your children. If you're not going in the path that you need to go, I'd appeal to you to stop before you are stopped. One time I was in the shower. You know, God speaks to me most in the shower. I don't know why. That's why I take one every day, by the way. Not because I know. It's not because I need a shower. It's just I want to hear from God. You know? yeah. I was in the shower one time, and I was, you know, I think it was in my 40s. And I was thinking about some things that I needed to repent of. You ever do that? Things that I knew God was dealing with me about. <clears throat> things about sin in my mind and my thoughts and, and everything else. And, and uh, the Lord said, are you going to stop that? <laughs> and I'm going, mm, mm, I, you know, is that a direct question? <laughs> do, you wanna, do you want a yes or no answer? Or, you know, is that rhetorical? <laughs> you know, anyway, I usually say, thou knowest, Lord. <laughs> he said, because whatever you don't repent of today, you will stand before me in judgment. 
But if you repent, no matter what it is, he said, the effect of it will stop, and I will remember it no more. But if you don't stop, you will stand before me in judgment. That was a shower to remember. And I still have to count on it every time. I find myself slipping into this place, especially abdicating my place as a father, as a husband, as a man of God. I ask you to forgive me for anything that I may have done to you, ministering to you, that I did not know I did to offend you. But I promise you something else. I will never try to not offend you. I will always try to say what God says. I will offend you because that's the word of God. It's the offense. Jesus is the offense. So you have no choice but to forgive me and repent. Isn't that simple? One day I was preaching, just another story here. We had a lady in our church, she's about 75. And uh, I'm a young whippersnapper in her eyes, you know. And always, she always sat there in a certain place. And she always had a scowl on her face. And anyway, I knew that she was going through some kind of spat with another lady in our church to the point I mean they were name calling they were doing all kinds of things and I, I was having I, I preached a message about forgiveness and I said you have no choice to, but to forgive you don't you don't forgive you can't be forgiven that's, it, that's the way it is she puffed up I'm going to tell you man she wrote letters to everybody in the church she said, I had preached that message to her that day. And she would never set foot in that church again. I offended her. When I had no idea, uh, no, there was nothing in my mind that had her in my, in my thoughts whatsoever. I was preaching the word of God. It was the offense. Stumbling block. When someone offends you, what do you do? As a parent. As a husband, as a wife. You cannot afford to live in offense. Because when you do, you build offense. The next thing you know, you are the offender. I appeal to you today. I appeal to you today. To become who God has called you to become. I call you up into that right now, Isaac. I call you up into that new place next level. It's time. It's time. Don't be timid anymore. Don't be timid anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Brother, if I go on, I will do the old guy thing. Ramble. <laughs> I'm going to ask my wife to come up. Will you come up here, honey?
ask you to pray. Father, we just praise you. We feel your presence with us. We feel your Father's heart. Lord, as we all get to make those, those journeys and trips to discovering what might be harboring inside of us, as you graciously but so painfully sometimes show us the thing that, that the enemy is trying to do to destroy us. Lord, help us to all put our hand out and say, hold on to me, Father. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to let you do this work. I'm going to let you do the deliverance that I need. I'm going to let you touch what I've been afraid for you to touch. I'm going to let you open the doors that I've had locked. Because, Father, I want your love to touch every part of me. Thank you, Lord. We just come humbly as your children tonight. Lord, we can't do this. We can't do it on our own. We can't know enough scripture. We can't be religious enough. We can't act certain ways enough. Lord, the genuine, the real, the authentic person that you are can transform the person that we are. So, Father, I just thank you tonight, right now, where we're sitting, where we are right this minute. We just lift up our hands and say, Lord... Here I am. I'm unlocking the doors. I'm letting you in. Show me the man in the mirror. Showing me the things in my heart. That I might walk in your ways. That I might be transformed and become... That, that image that you designed me to be. We thank you right now, Holy Spirit, that you're moving. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. You're welcome. We thank you, Lord. We bring you all our, our broken parts, all our hurts, our wounds, our fears. We say, Lord, I can't do anything, but you can. Give you my heart. I've sung it before, but Lord, really, I give you my heart. Walk around in it. Touch every part. Establish your love in it. So that your love is so powerful and so mighty. Yes, Father. <laughs> that nothing, mm. no pattern from my past, no fear, no pride, no selfishness will be able to stand against the power of your agape love and the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed me.
So we thank you and praise you. Let's just stand up and praise him. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise your name, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. We say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the crushing, in the pressing. He's making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You, Lord God, are making this wonderful new life. Father, I am so grateful that each man, woman, and child in this place has been touched by the word tonight. So much so, Lord God, that they're open right now to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, Father God, thank you. I want to ask you all to put your hand over your heart. Maybe both hands if you like. And I want you to feel the beat of your own heart for a minute. Feel the beat and just be quiet in this moment. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore our sins, our sorrows, our sicknesses took the heartbeat that you used to have. And he let it die. Now the life that I now live in Christ, I live by faith in the Son of God. It is his power that keeps my heart begging. It is his power. You are only one or two heartbeats away from eternity. Don't waste your heartbeat. Continue to give your heart to Christ. Is there anyone in this room right now that has never given their heart to Christ? You'd like to do that this minute. I ask you to come forward. Not to be bashful, but to be bold. Declare your love for Christ. I know there's someone in this room that doesn't, hasn't. Perhaps you will never. But I give you an invitation nonetheless. Now, anybody in this room is willing to take a new step, be broken before God, be broken of pride of the Father or a mother, a son or a daughter. And you want to repent. I just want you to pray with me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I give to you my very heartbeat. 
I give to you my thoughts. I give to you my plans. You are everything. We are nothing. But because you're everything, you have made us holy and given us purpose. We live because of you. We ask you to forgive us our pride and arrogance, resistance, hesitation, second-guessing, anxiety, worry. Lord, I thank you that this is a new day for all of us in this room. I thank you, Father God, that this prayer has allowed people to step out of darkness into the light. That this weekend, Lord God, would have given tools, would have given wisdom. More importantly, give us anointing to walk in a way that's pleasing to you concerning raising our children. Let the new generation that comes up in this house be powerful and holy. Be full of the wisdom. Be full of grace. Be full of peace. Be full of the demonstration of the power of God. I pray this, Father, and I thank you for the leadership of this house. The Todd and Chelsea, Scott and Trish, and the elders of this house would be so filled with the Spirit, Father God. The revival that was in, spoken of in the song tonight, Lord God, would actually happen and be so utterly other than what they thought it would be that they would rejoice and be glad with such surprising, surprising joy. And it would be so astounding, Father God, that these hills would cry out and that the knees of the lost would be calloused with prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the salvation of men, and our, especially of our children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you. Pastor Todd, would you like to say anything at this time? Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Father, we just give you thanks for all that has been shared this weekend and all that's been imparted to us. Lord, again, we just declare we receive, uh, God, and, and especially... Uh, just the cap on it here tonight with uh, the heart of humility and uh, brokenness. And Lord, we pray that that would be who we are. Lord, that uh, we would walk in brokenness and, uh, and allow your spirit, God, to lead us rather than us try to lead ourselves. And uh, I just thank you, Father, that, that this man and this woman, Lord, uh, already have given a legacy, and already have, Lord, led away, God, for many others. Uh, think about Hebrews twelve thirteen says, Mark out a straight path for your feet so that others will not stumble and fall. Yes. And, Lord, this is who they are. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that their past mistakes don't define their future, mm. and neither do ours. Yes. Because they have walked it out, Lord, and are continuing to walk it out, Lord, that we also uh, see that we can too. And uh, I thank you, Father, for those who have gone before us 
God, because those who have gone before us have shown us a good way. And Lord, we thank you. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm. And Lord, I thank you for these witnesses. And I thank you, God, that, that even though we may look at ourselves in this moment and think we have failed or we're imperfect, Lord, there is nothing that can stop the saving work and saving grace and the redemptive power of the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are more than able. You are more than able to save and redeem and make new. Behold, you make all things new. And we praise you and we give you thanks for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Blessed of the Lord. All right. God bless you guys.